Yeah, come on, give it up. Give it up. Hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad to have you guys here with us, both here in our Carney campus and on our Black campus. Uh, all of you guys that are worshiping with us online today, thank you so much for being here for the very first Sunday of 2019. High five three people and tell them welcome to 2019. Come on, really quick, really quick. Three people, three people. Welcome to 2019. Wow. Wow. Hey, we've got an incredible start for you this year. We're kicking off with a teaching series that we entitled Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders has been something for the last three years that's been growing in my heart. Yeah, three years. I feel a little bit like a volcano right now. Um, after three years, uh, I wanted to roll this out January of last year. Didn't feel like God allowed me to do that. So I saved it all the way till now. This is a revolutionary moment for us. This is a life-changing moment for us. This is a history-making moment for us. By the end of this series, by the end of January, it's going to go all the weeks of January, uh, th this could be revolutionary for the future of our church. Kingdom Builders is our new missions emphasis. Uh, so if you've been around New Life, you'll know that we have been a missions-driven type of church. We like missionaries. We like missions projects. We like planting churches. Um, we, we like sending people. We, we like all that kind of stuff. This is a new day for us, and this is a brand new rollout. And so today I'm going to just kind of get it started. Now, a lot of our teaching series are different than what I'm getting ready to tell you today. All right? A lot of our teaching series have each Sunday as a standalone. You miss a week, it's okay. Watch it online, but it's like each week doesn't build on the other week. They're kind of like all standalones, taking a subject matter and looking at it from all different angles. But today, and this series is totally different. This is a series that builds. So I'm only going to give you a part of what I need to give you today. And then next week, I'm going to give you more. The third week until the fourth week until I've given you all that I have now about what Kingdom Builders is. So what does that mean for you? That means this, that you need to be here every single week of the teaching series, because if you miss one week, it's gonna be kind of difficult. So how do you do that? Because you might go, well, I'm already gonna be gone, like the third Sunday. That's okay, we have watch on demand, okay? We're like, we're like Netflix. You can, you can go on, you can watch any sermon uh, that you want to, and you can watch it whenever you want to. So if you're online right now and you're worshiping with us and you said, look, I made a commitment to be, to be following Jesus in 2019. Thank you so much. You can watch any of our services, right? But you need to be here these next few weeks. So I want you to do something with me. Pull out your smartphone. I know a lot of churches, they don't want you to pull out your smartphone. They want you to like turn it off, leave it in the car or something like that. No, I want you to have your smartphone. I want you to have your smartphone for so many reasons. I don't even have time to go into it. We should preach a sermon on just why I want your smartphone here, right? But let me give you the nuts and the bolts of it. I want your smartphone here because we have version, and I got my sermon notes that are on there so that you can have them. If, if this sermon makes a difference to you, you can hit save, boom, you got all the scriptures right there with you. I want your, your smartphone out because as we talk about different things, then you have the opportunity to send out a post on Twitter or on Facebook and say, oh my word, this is incredible. You guys should read this or you guys should hear this right? Or you could put a link to today's message, you know, to your friends so your other friends can watch it. I mean, I want your smartphone useful. I don't want you texting on it unless you're texting out something like, man, you should hear what God said to me, right? I, I don't want you watching a Netflix show, right? Unless you're watching a past sermon video from New Life. I, you got it, right? 
I want you to use it for something that's useful and something that's good, all right? So don't be afraid of it. That's why we give you free Wi-Fi uh, here at the church. <clears throat> so pull that thing out, but here's what I really want you to do today. I want you to go in and I want you to go to next Sunday, right now, I want you to go next Sunday on your calendar and I want you to put a reminder in your, in your calendar to be at church. That's how important it is. And I need you to set that as a reoccurring reminder at least for the rest of this month that you are going to be either at this service or at the earlier service, and that's the goal you're setting for yourself. And then, guys, look, just do what I do. Just be a slave to your phone, right? And so when the alarm goes off, you're like, okay, that's where I go, right? And so I just plug it all into my phone, and I follow it, and I do it, and it helps me accomplish my goals. So if one of your goals is that you want to be at church every Sunday, go into your phone, set a reminder, put it in as an appointment, and then set an alarm, and let's make it happen. Okay, are you with me? All right. Okay. So we're kicking off this series called Kingdom Builders. Now, kingdom, like whenever I hear the word kingdom, a lot of things flash through my mind. And it might be the same for you. So I'm 48 years old. Okay. Now, look, when I think of the word kingdom, one of the first things my mind goes to is Sunday night, sitting in front of the TV. This is way before Netflix, Hulu, you know, Amazon, way before you could watch whatever show you wanted to, whenever you wanted to. Way before cable, okay, so are you guys with me so far? This is back when you had the antenna and you could just pick up the stations you could pick up. Anybody with me on that? Back in the simple days, back when you or I became the remote control. All right, so back in those days, Sunday night, all of a sudden the TV comes on, the magic kingdom, right? The magic kingdom in the castle comes on and then following that you're gonna watch some kind of a Disney special. Who remembers those moments? Oh man. Right? If you don't remember those moments, then you easily can by just searching it on Netflix and watch it right now. Okay, so, but we couldn't do that back then. And this was a crazy moment where cartoons were going to be on Sunday nights, not just Saturday morning or right after school. So it was a very special moment. So sometimes my mind flashes to that. When I hear kingdom, I might think of like Snow White, the seven dwarves, because the seven dwarves are just cool. Right? I mean, off to work we go. Or is that what they sing? Did they do that? How did it go, by the way? Hi-ho, hi-ho, right, right, thank you. Hi-ho, all right, that's enough of that, okay, right. <laughs> hi-ho, right, so off the work we go. So they got the kingdom, they got a castle, you've got a prince, you know, you have a wicked witch. I mean, it's all the thing that just makes a great little fairy tale. Or you watch like Beauty and the Beast, another, another kingdom, another castle, another prince with little singing teacups and forks and knives. All right, so like you watched all of that. And some, sometimes when you think kingdom, your mind can flash to that kind of like fairy tale kingdom. And if it doesn't go there, then maybe your mind goes to like an ancient castle that came from a medieval period of time where maybe tales of like King Arthur and the, uh, you know, and the, the Knights of the Round Table were there. Maybe your mind goes there when you hear the word kingdom. Or it could go to more, something more modern of a mystical kingdom where maybe Lord of the Rings exists, right? And so you've got these different kingdoms and they're battling each other or they're joining together collectively to take on you know, this evil force. And so you can have a mystical kingdom when it goes through your mind. Or it could be a historical kingdom, like, a, like the ancient Roman Empire kingdom. Right? You could go there and you could be like, wow, man, I, I, I've studied that in history. And so your mind flashes back to those moments. Or it could be, lastly, what one of the things that my mind goes to. When I hear the word kingdom, I go back to places that I've lived. So I had the privilege of living in Oman, the country of Oman. Uh, it's a monarchy, you know, ruled by a sultan. 
I've lived in Saudi Arabia. And so there you have, again, a monarchy that is, that's driven by a king. Um, you have the United Kingdom. I both worked there and I had opportunities to vacation there. And so you, you get moments where, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, she, she's the queen. She's the monarch. She reigns and rules over the kingdom. So there's all these modern day pictures, mystical pictures, fairy tale pictures, um, empire pictures, medieval pictures of kings and kingdoms. And when we start to look at God and the kingdom of God, we can oftentimes take this imagery that came from books and fairy tales and movies, and we can inadvertently overlay that on top of the kingdom of God and try to picture what is the kingdom of God through that framework. And when you do that, you will always, always warp God and his kingdom and God and his sovereignty and God and his authority. You will always warp it because there's nothing on this earth, fairy tale or otherwise, that's ever been created that will ever compare to or depict the true imagery of the sovereignty and the, the power and the authority of God the king and his kingdom. And it will warp you. Just like the Jews had their minds warped on Jesus being the king. The Jews wanted Jesus to be their king because they were in an oppressive state under the Roman Empire. And they didn't have the opportunity to govern themselves and to lead themselves. And so they looked at Jesus, this one who was speaking and, you know, he drew crowds of hundreds and thousands and he worked miracles and they were in awe and they were inspired by him. And they were like, this is an up and coming leader. Let's make him our king. And so the weekend that Jesus is riding the donkey triumphantly into the city and the people hear about it, um, that weekend that he also ends up being arrested and you know, uh, beaten and then put on a cross and he dies. That weekend, the people actually wanted him to be king. Here's what was happening uh, at the beginning of it. It says the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, right? Because man, Jesus is coming, right? A large crowd of Passover visitors, they took palm branches and they went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, look what they shouted, right? Read what they shouted with me, this all the way to the end. You ready? They shouted, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. They wanted, they had this warped mentality that Jesus, the Messiah, was somehow going to be a physical king with a physical kingdom in Jerusalem being the capital and that he would physically reign and he would rule there. Now, the truth is that day is coming, but that day wasn't then. And you and me still have the promise of that day coming where Jesus will be a literal king of a literal kingdom with, with actual, you know, people like us. That day's coming. And we know that from multiple different scriptures. Here's one of them, just to kind of like wet your whistle on some, you know, on God's word. It says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. Look what they shouted in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord. Now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will what? Forever. Reign. He will reign forever and ever. This day is coming. Here's, here's where I want to start today with kingdom builders. In light of the fact that this day is coming, where Jesus reigns as a physical king of a physical kingdom with you and me physically there, since that day is coming, how then should we live today? What, what do you need to know today to start living in light of 
a kingdom that will physically come. But I think what you really need to know is this, what is the kingdom of God? If you know like what is the kingdom of God, then you can start orienting your life to match up with the, the expectations of the king. You, you can start living your life to know the king. You can start following the commands of the king. You, you can be more intimate in your relationship with the king, but you've got to know what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that Jesus talked about more than anything else. In fact, it's recorded in the English Standard Version that Jesus mentions the word the kingdom of God 126 different times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He talks about this more than anything. The word the kingdom, it literally means the reign of a king. So the word kingdom means to reign. So when you see the word the kingdom or the kingdom of God when Jesus is talking about it, every time you could insert these words, Instead of the kingdom of God, it could be the reign of God. The reign of God. Now, a lot of people, when they think kingdom, they think realm. They think a structural barrier or a place like the country of Saudi Arabia, right? Or they think of a castle or they think of a, a province and they think of a people. And I'm just here to tell you today, first and foremost, when you see the word kingdom, the kingdom is not a realm. It's not a, it's not a physical place right now, nor is it a, in a sense a physical people either. But here's the interesting thing. The, the, when the king reigns, when God, he reigns over his kingdom, here's what he produces in his sovereignty, in his power, in his authority, and in his creativity. The reign of God produces the realm of God. And the reign of God produces the people of God. Let me give you an example. The universe that you and me live in, with the galaxy that our solar system abides in, wasn't just aimlessly floating out there in outer space someplace. And then God shows up on the scene and goes, hey, like a king would, there's a universe that I don't own. Let's go conquer that universe. No, that's, that's, not, that's not how it worked. It was the reign of God, the, su the supreme authority of God, the unchallenged being of God reigning as king decides, I want a universe, and so he creates the universe. Same thing holds true with the earth. It wasn't just this blue planet floating around aimlessly in space someplace with a bunch of humans on it, and then God sees it as a conquering king and goes, you know what we need to do, Jesus? You go to that planet and you conquer those people. No, it was the reign of God, the supremacy of Christ that said, look, here's what we want. We want a, a planet, we want humans on it, and we want to create an opportunity for them to know us and to worship us and for us to become one with them. And so God, in the sovereignty of his reign, decides, I am going to create earth and humanity. And it's in the midst of this small moment, this planet that's a blip in the space of the entire universe that God decides to unveil or put on display his reign. Here's how he does it. He sends Jesus to be born a virgin birth, an impossible birth. Jesus lives a sinless life, an impossible life. You and me can't do it. He sends Jesus to give his life on a cross and then to rise again from the dead, something that is impossible for you and me. And all of that put on display the ultimate unchallenged reign of God and God's reign over everything. 
Psalms even talks about the reign of God over everything. Read this passage with me, Psalms 103, 19. Read it with me. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He rules over all. Like, we'll read moments like this in Scripture, but we don't really kind of like let it soak in. What does all mean? It's easy for you to say, well, all means like everything I see right now. All means when I step outside and I look up into the sky at night and I look at all the stars and the things I can't see, it's like it got reigns over all of that. But you know where we, where we go least? We go to us least. That means that God, God wants to reign over all, meaning you as well. He wants to reign over your thoughts. He wants to reign over your, your motives. He wants to reign over your emotions. He wants to reign over your will. He wants to reign over your desires. He wants to reign over your dreams. God wants to reign over everything you try to control. God wants to reign over the small things of your life. He wants to reign over the great things of your life. God wants to reign over it. All of it. That's a challenge for you and me. That scripture in Psalms, it gives us the very essence, the definition. You see the definition of what the kingdom of God really is in scripture, that the kingdom of God is the complete reign of the king over everything. So since God is the supreme authority reigning over all things, what does that make you? Does that make you just another subject of the king like you would think of in some kind of a movie? that we're just subjects of the king and we're doomed to live our lives on this earth under his monarchy then? Is that the picture? Because if that's the picture, that's completely inaccurate and wrong. No, that's not the case. Because God, God's not running a monarchy. God runs a theocracy where he is the supreme authority. There's no challenge to him. But in the concept of the monarchy, then you can't disagree with the king because if you disagree with the king, then it's treasonous and you're subject to penalty of some manner of sorts of whether it's being banished from the kingdom, whether it's being thrown in jail, or it's being put to death. And we don't live in a kingdom where God's the king, where you disagree with him on this life and in this world and in this moment where you're banished from his kingdom, right? And if you break one of his laws, you know, it's not like you're going to be put, put to the noose or something like that in this life. And that's what makes it so interesting, so different, the kingdom of God versus kingdoms that are on this earth today or that have been on this earth or are mystical or a fairy tale in nature. God's kingdom is radically different. The king, God, he gives you the freedom to surrender to his reign and call him king on this earth or for you to let yourself be your own king. And he lets this life go. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to let me, God's saying, be your king? Do I get to reign and rule over everything? Or are you going to be your own king in this life? And that's the question we've, we've had to wrestle with ever since our birth. Who's going to be the king on the throne of my heart? That's the kingdom God cares about right now cares about what's happening right here. But before you answer that question, there's a reality that you've got to wrestle with. Here's the, re here's the reality. Since God reigns over everything, that means God reigns over life and God reigns over death. So if you don't surrender to the king in this life, 
then in death you'll be forced to surrender to the king. That's why it says in God's word that every knee is going to bow. Your knee, my knee, the knees of those who have been before us, the knees of those who are going to come, every knee is going to bow before him. You're either going to do that on this earth and acknowledge him as your king, or you'll be forced to do that at his throne at a moment of judgment, which God himself refers to that as the second death. You died once on this earth, but that day that you stand before him because you didn't make him king on this earth, that day you stand before him, you will declare him as king, but it's too little, too late, and that's the second death. And second death in God's word is complete separation from the king and from his kingdom in what is referred to in the Bible as hell. I'm not the one who made the rules. I'm just the messenger, so don't shoot me. The king has the supreme authority. He's the one who established the rules. And he says to us very plainly that one day we will all be judged on one critical thing. Did you surrender everything to the reign and to the authority of the king in your personal life while you had breath on this earth? Let me give you the picture, right? Meaning, did you live in God's kingdom with God sitting on the throne of your heart, or did you live in God's kingdom with you sitting on the throne of your heart? So the bottom line comes down to this. First, is God reigning as the king of your entire, all, your entire life right now? That's fair, it's first and foremost. And you have to answer that question. And later on, Pastor Nate's gonna wrap up our service, and he's gonna give you the opportunity to put Christ on the throne of your heart. I, I would encourage you, if that's not where he lives right now, that's where he needs to be. But secondly, would be this, are you actively engaged in helping others to surrender and make Jesus the king of their heart? See, in God's kingdom, it's not enough just to like make him the king of your heart. He wants, he wants you to now join with him in his mission, right, to, to put Christ on the throne of every heart of every man, woman, and child on planet earth. See, if God is the king of your heart, then your heart must deeply desire the same things that the king desires. And if God is the king of your heart, then you must be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes and whatever he asks. That's why the perfect example of Jesus it's not just that Jesus gave his life on the cross, but he's the perfect example of obedience to the king. When Jesus was on the cross, I got bad news for you. For some of you, you think he was thinking about you first. He wasn't. He was thinking about the father first. And he was like, I did what you asked me to do. And you know what the benefit of that is? That you and me then become the center of his heart. Because he honored the father, the king first, then he starts to live for you and me, to cover our sins and to set us free. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful he didn't put me first. I'm thankful he put the father first and that I become second because that's the place I need to be because then I can benefit from him surrendering to the supreme authority and lordship of the king. So you might be sitting here going, okay, well then, like, what is the desire of the king? What's the desire of God? Like, if, if I've surrendered my life to him and he wants me to couple and team up with him to accomplish his mission, then what is the mission of the king right now? Let me tell you what the mission of the king is really quickly. You're going to think it's too simple, though. So just get ready, because your mind's going to argue with your heart really fast. 
It's John 3.16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. First and foremost, what is the mission of the king reigning of, over his kingdom? He wants none to perish but all to have eternal life. That's why you have the example of Jesus. So you, the quick question you gotta ask yourself is this, if that's God's number one passion, is that your number one passion? Or have you already deemed this the shallow end of the spiritual pool and you want something deep? Because this is God's deep end, by the way. So if you've blown past this and you, this doesn't mean anything to you anymore, and this is just a rote memory scripture that you learned in Sunday school someplace or that you've heard many, many times and you just kind of go, oh yeah, I've heard that before, then you're on the wrong end of the stick when it comes to God. Because for God, this is the deep end of the pool. This is what he's living for right now. This is what he's focused on. This is him reigning as the king. That he's going, look, I've done all of this as the king because I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anybody to have that second death. I want everybody to spend eternity with me. But that's not where it ends. He goes on from there. And he says, Matthew 28, therefore then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So he says this, look, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to have eternal life. But that's not, the, that's not the end. That's like the start line. So here's what I want all of you to do that have committed your life to me, meaning God, is I want you to join with me and help others know my commands, know my word, and obey it. I want you to lead others in following what I, what I, what I stand for. And that's making disciples. So it's reaching the loss and it's making disciples. And if you want to know the last thing that's beating in God's heart right now as the king sitting on the throne, reigning as the king, here it is. Second Peter 3 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Promise in what? His promise to return and establish his physical kingdom. He's not being slow in that as some people think so. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. We don't have an angry, malicious king sitting on a throne. We have a very gracious, slow to anger king who's sitting on the throne right now, giving grace so that all of humanity can hear the good news of Jesus and surrender their life to him. So my question is this for you, who call yourselves Christ followers, is that your number one passion? Because it's the number one passion of the king. And if it is, then what are you doing as a part of it? What are you sacrificing that's the big question today. What are you willing to sacrifice to see God's kingdom advance in the hearts of people in Nebraska and around the world? For Jesus to be the king over every living being on planet earth right now. What are you willing to sacrifice? As you think about that, I've been reading quite a bit lately about, about the pilgrims that came as our forefathers, who then later, you know, generations later became the founding fathers. Forefathers, they knew what sacrifice was to, to be kingdom builders. They knew what it, was, what it was like to sacrifice everything to advance God's kingdom in their day. And I'm not talking about when they showed up on the shores in November off, off of Plymouth in 1620. I'm talking about go back to the mid-1500s while they were in England. And while they were in England, they, be, they were referred to as the Puritans, and they were part of the Puritan movement. They had recognized that the church had become ultra, you know, ultra corrupt by the state, like the church was ran by the government. 
It was a state-ran church, and the government told the church how to run itself so that the church could control the people. And it was a mechanism that the, that the government used to control the people. So much so that, you know, in the, in the mid-1500s, it was illegal in England for a citizen to even own a Bible. They didn't even have Bibles printed in English, but as they were printed, for a citizen to own one could have been you know, treason against the state because it was not what the church wanted, and it could actually put you to death. They would burn people at the stake for having a Bible printed in English that people could read. Now, why would the government not want the people to have a Bible? Because they didn't want the people to recognize that the church was corrupt and it was leading its people completely astray. But the Puritan movement, they separated themselves from the church, which is where they got the nickname separatist. They saw the church was corrupt and they said, look, we're going to separate ourselves from this. And they desired to have a church someplace where they could worship God freely. And so they looked to Holland for that. And they were going to make this journey to Holland. But before they could make the journey to Holland, they would have to meet in homes secretly to worship with candlelights, sing songs quietly, pray for each other quietly, and share God's word as they would open up this illegal Bible and they would share it with one another. And they went after this for a few years. And then finally, they raised enough money and they hired a sea captain from, there was a Dutch sea captain to take them over to Holland so they could plant a church and they could worship God with freedom. Except for the sea captain, he betrayed them and he turned them back over to the England, to the English troops. And they were all thrown into jail, men, women, and children, so that they were in there for at least a month, if not more. When they got out, guess what they had inside their hearts burning? A desire to go to Holland to plant a church so they could worship God freely and expand God's kingdom in their day and come out from underneath the corruptness of the local church. So they saved up all their money and they hired another sea captain, but this time they were a little bit smarter. And the men went, you know, in, in one route to get to the boat and the women and children went another route to get to the boat. And the, the men hopped in these small little dinghies and they made their way out to the boat and all the men were on the boat and this big storm came up and it pushed the boat out into the open waters. And, the, and this captain could not get the boat back for the women and the children. And they were forced to make their way over to Holland. And for a year, a year it took, the men were in Holland planting this church and finding jobs and trying to survive and to worshiping God while their wives and children were back in England under the oppression of the state-ran church. And it took them a year to get their wives and their children over there. And for 12 years, they built this church and under the leadership of Pastor John Robinson, they planted it and they were, they were breathing life and they were witnessing to one another and they were sharing the good news with the Dutch people and they, they gathered up the little bit of money that they had because it was a very oppressive time when it came to economics and you know they were being oppressed because they were foreigners and they couldn't get enough jobs to make enough money. But the little bit of money they had, they pulled, they pulled it together and they built this printing press. So they're sacrificing all along the way. When you thought they sacrificed it all, God kept asking for more. And they, in this printing press, they started printing these little booklets. They talked about the good news of Jesus and the good news of Jesus versus the state-ran church of England. And they were sending it back to England because, guys, look, here was their ultimate desire, that they would become strong enough and they would wait long enough that they could go back to England and share the good news of Jesus with their people. That's why they were just across the inlet over in, over in Holland waiting, right? Except for when King James heard about this and he got his hands on these booklets, he was so like ticked off that he sent troops over there to destroy the printing press. And now they had nothing. So they're suffering in Holland. They got no printing press. What are we going to do now? They actually made their way back to England so that they could get on a boat and they could make their way to the new land that they had been hearing about, what we call America now. 
So in September-ish, 1620, they have hired these two boats, the Mayflower and the Speedwell, all right? And they set sail to this new land to plant this church and to expand God's kingdom only to find that the Speedwell isn't speedy and it's not well. <laughs> and it starts taking on water. And so they turn back and they go back to the port where they could be arrested as the Puritans, right? As the separatists. Because in 1593, England made it illegal to be a Puritan. You had to all be a part of the church you couldn't be a Puritan. You couldn't, you couldn't separate yourself from the church. Everybody was a part of the church, right? So it's illegal for them to even be living this way, believing this. So they make their way back. They do that twice. And finally, the speedwell is not going to make it. So they pile out of the boats and Pastor, Pastor Robinson looks at his people and he says, only half of us can go. And they select half of them and they put them on the Mayflower and the other half stay. And we have no record that Pastor Robinson and or those people ever made it to America we know that Pastor Robinson never made it. And this great leader who had been raising these people up, teaching them God's word, teaching them what sacrifice was, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them about advancing God's kingdom that was greater than themselves, he stays behind while half of his people make the journey across the Atlantic that took 66 days in a vessel that had never crossed the Atlantic and it was being beaten back and forth by the waves and people are getting seasick. You can imagine the picture. And in November, they show up on the shores of this new land. And they anchor outside of a place that would be called Plymouth. And in December of 1620, they start making their way. They don't have houses, they don't have food. And by that first winter, by the end of March, 47 of the 102 that went on that, that voyage were already dead. Almost half of them were, had died sacrificing their lives for a kingdom that was not their own, for a dream that there could be freedom of God and worship of God. And in April, the captain of the Mayflower decided it's time to go. So he tells the people, look, guys, look, man, this is tough. This is hard. you got to get back on this boat. Let's go back to England. It's only going to take us a couple of weeks. We'll be back there. Everything will be okay. The level of sacrifice by our early pilgrims, our Puritans, who started this nation based on the foundation of its a freedom to worship Jesus Christ, not one of them got back on that Mayflower and went home. Not one of them. That's a sacrifice that you and me have yet to discover when it comes to building God's kingdom. But I'm here to tell you today that during Kingdom Builders, I'm going to be challenging you because God's been challenging me. What are we doing to sacrifice today in our day? What is the greatest sacrifice to advance God's kingdom in our day in where we live and where we're at right now? Kingdom Builders is basically our vision it's our visionary plan to sacrifice what we have, to partner with God, to accomplish his mission as the king of his kingdom. And I can't give that all to you today. I'm over time. More of that comes next week, in the third week, and the fourth week. And so you've got to be back here. What is this visionary plan to sacrifice what we have, to partner with God, to accomplish his mission as the king of his kingdom? I can tell you this, though. You're going to be asked two big critical questions you're gonna be faced with the same question that the early pilgrims had to answer. And that's this, what are you willing to sacrifice to see every heart on planet earth surrender to Jesus as their king? What are you willing to give up to see one person maybe even that lives in a country that you'll never go to and a face you'll never see until we stand before the physical king and his physical kingdom one day to come in the future and they'll thank you for what you sacrificed so that they could make Jesus the king of their heart today. What are you willing to sacrifice so that one, 
or two or 10 or 100 people might know Jesus? What are you willing to sacrifice? We're going to keep coming back to that question. But secondly, it's this. Are you living in God's kingdom, enjoying all of its rewards for yourself? Or have you joined God and have you actually become a kingdom builder? How do you know that you are a kingdom builder? And by the end of this series, you'll walk into, into February of 2019 with a life like you've never had before. You'll walk into February 2019 looking at 2019 as a full year like you've never looked at a year. You'll have more anticipation, more excitement, more joy about the rest of this year than you've ever had in any year. And you'll be able to say, I am a kingdom builder, which means this. I know the mission of the king and I'm partnered with him in a sacrificial way. And every single one of you will have that opportunity. That's a reward in the heart to know the mission of the king and to know that you're partnered with his mission. That's where we're going, guys, through this series. Why don't you stand with me? So I say to you guys here, future kingdom builders, this is our turn. This is our moment to worship him. Those Puritans, man, when they met with those candles and those Bibles that were illegal that could have got them killed in the mid-1900s, they were dreaming a dream that eventually, here we are today, we're living it. What dream are we going to dream so that future generations will look back on us like we look back on those pilgrims. We thank God for them. What generation will thank God for us? Guys, it all starts with worshiping the king first. The king wants you to worship him because you choose to. He wants you to follow him because you choose to, not because you have to. Let's worship God because we choose to today. And then next week we'll pick it up and we'll let this thing stir in our heart a little bit more. God's going to call us all to a point of action, and it's going to be history-making. Let me pray for you. Father, you have a mission that is mind-blowing. It's constant, and it's true. It's like John 3.16, we've maybe heard it a hundred times in our life, but for you, it's fresh. It's meaningful. It's your mission. We've heard, go and make disciples. How many times? But for you, it's like, it's personal. It's your mission. It's what you breathe for, live for, lead for. Thank you for giving us the time to accomplish it. But we're given, we're not secured tomorrow. We're only secured today. And so may we live today with like, like the results we want tomorrow. May we live today completely abandoned to you because those are the results we want tomorrow. Lord, show up in this place and do something powerful in our lives. May we worship you because, Lord, we just want to, not because we have to. May we worship you because we love you. May we worship you because you are the king of our heart. May we worship you because you're the king of our life. So in Jesus' name, we come to you. May you have your way in this church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.